You are listening to the Swim Science Podcast. Take your marks. Welcome to the Swim Science Podcast with your hosts, Robin and Josh Sergina, a father and son duo with a combined experience of elite international sport of over 50 years. Robin is a nine-time Paralympic champion in the pool and junior performance squad head coach, and Josh is a physiologist and sports scientist who has worked with Olympic and Paralympic athletes and is a university performance squad head coach. Welcome to the Swim Science Podcast. For today's episode, we're joined by Adam Rookwood. As a swimmer, Adam won 10 national championships and set 16 British records. The Commonwealth champion and Commonwealth record holder, a European medalist and competed at five world championships and three Olympic Games. As a coach, Adam has been to the junior European and junior world championships, as well as the senior European championships, introduced a number of senior and junior international medalists, and is concurrently continuing success as the head coach of the City of Coventry swim squad. So welcome, Adam Rockwood. Thanks for watching, guys. Happy to be here. That that intro was really good. I'm not sure I can I can top that. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> um, so yeah, just want to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and your coaching philosophies. Um, a bit a bit of my background, really. I mean, you've covered a lot of it there. I was I was competitive swimmer. I was I was quite fortunate. Some of three Olympic games and you know won a few medals at major games. And then I started um, started coaching in 2002 at the City of Birmingham. So I was, I was very fortunate, um, unlike a lot of swimmers that come out of the sport, um, I was able to get a job very, very quickly. So within, with literally within three weeks of finishing Commonwealth Games in 2002, which was my last swim, I was able to um, get the assistant jobs at the City of Birmingham. But back then it was, it was more a case of it was development work. So I was only doing a little bit of coaching. So I was actually employed as a swimming development officer um, and did that for a year and did a little bit of coaching. But it was, uh, as I say, it was more based in the office. And then, <clears throat> excuse me. And then after that, um, got this. Took the actual assistants, um, the assistant group, the second group at City of Birmingham. And within a year, so early two thousand and four, I was head coach at City of Birmingham. So, so less than sort of fifteen, sixteen months out of something, I was the head coach at City of Birmingham. So it was, it was quite a, a meteoric rise. I wouldn't say it was done on my excellent performances as the coach at the time. I think it was just sort of um, dead man's boots. Co- coaches came and went, and I happened to be in the right place at the right time. So. Yeah, I was very fortunate. But um, what I did do was was grab my opportunity, you know. So, so I had um, six really happy years at City of Birmingham as the head coach. You know, we had some some good success. You know, medals at Commonwealth Games and at Europeans with Terry Dunning, and then uh, medals at World Juniors, European Juniors. You know, with Alex Super, uh, Lauren Collins, Fern Davis, Rebecca Cole, Dan Rookwood, my own son. So we had we had some good success. And then I moved on to City of Coventry, um, and I've been there for the last ten years. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, happy times, really. 18 years in coaching seems to have flown by, although I've got the grey hairs to, um, <laughs> to attest to that. So, uh, yeah, so not bad at all. As regards my philosophy in coaching, um, if I'm honest, I, I don't really have one. It's more of a, a, like a mixture of things that I've picked up along the way from everywhere else. So, you know, certainly from, like, from influences that I had as a swimmer from the coaches I work with. So, you know, working with, Tim Jones, Rick Bailey, Barry Prime, Nick Woods, Chris Martin, Dave Clayer, you know, some great coaches. Um, so took parts that from there that I that I enjoyed or I thought worked well. 
And then um, coaches that I've worked with since, you know, as, as now peers and colleagues, you know, Rob Greenwood, John Rudd, um, Bill, Bill Sweetnam, when Bill Sweetnam was the performance director um, until 2007, you know, had a, had a huge impact on me and, and my philosophy in coaching. And then some of the um, different coaches and different sports scientists that have you know, just from around the world and that have been brought into work with British. I mean, so, um, you know, Jan Ulbrich, uh, John Abanchek, um, certainly Tim Kerrison. Tim Kerrison had a big impact, you know, he, the work that he did with um, around lactate production, lactate tolerance and, and the speed charts that he produced when he was working for British Swimming, you know, uh, reverse periodization, you know, it had a huge impact on what I do. And then um, just put all that into the mix and then add in my own, my own thoughts and my own, and my own ideas. So I can't say that my philosophy is, you can't say, oh, you know, he works to that model or he works to this model. It's more of my own thing. And, but certainly none of it is, is new. Certainly none of it is um, fresh or innovative. It's just sort of like a, a, a huge mixture of everybody else and the influences that, 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 that have been on me. Cool. I mean, I, I, I probably agree entirely with that. I mean, I probably carried my swimming career on and off for a lot longer and came to coaching later. Um, but but I kind of, you know, I don't have a, a named philosophy on how I work. I do exactly the same. I think back to all the years of coaching I had, um, you know, even from, you know, same some of the same coaches as you, like Barry, um, Barry Prime. Um, and it's about remembering what worked for me and, and particularly the motivation level as well, yeah, you know, because it's very easy to just, you know, set thousands and thousands of meters of swimming. Um, but actually it's, well, what works, what worked for me? What, how would, how do I want my swimmers to feel? I mean, kind of working it that way. And yeah, sometimes I want them to not like me briefly, <laughs> briefly, <laughs> or to appreciate why that they've had, you know, you've given them what they want to do. Yeah. Most definitely when you, you fall in, when you first start out and for any, any young coaches or new coaches that are starting out, um, you know, you, you have you have no experience, you know. So the thing that you you, you readily fall back on is your own experience as a swimmer, um, and certainly that that was the the point I started from when I, you know when I started coaching in two thousand and two. Okay, then well I did did this as a swimmer, so let's try and work with that. And then over time, you you think, oh blimey, that that worked really well like that. Then you do then the next thing you do, oh my god, that was an awful mistake. I won't be doing that again. But um, you know. Bill Sweetnam said, you know, every swimmer is an experiment. I didn't quite understand at the time, but um, I think what he meant was, you know, you'll, you'll work with a swimmer and you'll do, the, you'll do the best job you can with them at that time. And you'll learn from that. And when the next one comes along, oh, yeah, well, well I did this and that worked well and that perhaps didn't quite work, work quite so well. And you'll change things again. And, and in my experience, I think you, you do the best job you can with that swimmer at that time. And you look back, uh, I look back over my 18 years of coaching, you think, I did a pretty good job with that person. Or, you know, perhaps I would have done that a little bit, a little bit differently or, you know, I might have done that a little bit differently. But um, as long as you do reflect and you're honest with yourself. And, um, and, you, and the one thing that I am as well is I'm always honest with the swimmers as well, you know, and, and I feel a lot of coaches don't always do that. It's, um, you know, whether it's the, their own vanity or their own ego, but I think you've got to be, you've got to be honest, you've got to put your hands up. So if... If someone comes to me and asks a question and I, and I, and I don't know the answer, then I'll, I'll say, guys, I don't know that. But you know what? I'll do my damnedest to find out. Um, and, you know, and if, um, if a swimmer comes back after a, after a poor swim, you know, and they have perhaps given everything, 
and they've worked hard in training, they've done everything you're asked, and it hasn't gone quite right. Again, sometimes you have to go, hey, I don't know why that hasn't happened, but um, I'll do my damnedest to find out. So, and I think people can can appreciate that. They might not be happy with it, but I think as long as you're honest and you're upfront, and swimmers are savvy, you know, they, they especially nowadays, you know, it's, it's 2020, people are a lot more keyed in. Certainly for when you and I swam in the in the 80s and 90s, Robin, you know, <laughs> people are a lot more switched on now. Um, and so, like, if you don't know the answer, I think you have to be honest with people. And I think people accept that. As long as you can say to them, I will do my absolute utmost to to get to the point you want to get to and try and find out the answer, then I think people can accept that. So yeah. and, and honesty is um, honest and, honesty and, and integrity is sort of, you know, and fairness are, the, are like the three things that I try and work towards, you know, not just in my, in my career but in my private life as well you know just try and be honest with people i totally agree and i think because if you kind of try and muddle your way through an answer that you're making up halfway through um and then it proves to be wrong you that kind of it then undermines that kind of respect and i totally agree yeah that you know that honesty because you want the same back from your swimmers you know when you ask them a question do you understand this do you know why you're doing this do you know why that didn't work when they don't, you want them to tell you that. Absolutely. Yeah, you want them to be. You want them to be completely truthful and be completely honest. And the and I, when I when I have new swimmers come into the group, you know, I always say to them like the 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 more honest you can be, um, and the if you like the the more information you can give me, the better job I can do for you. You know, so if and that can be quite hard. You know, for a fourteen or fifteen year old kid to speak to a you know to me to a 45 year old bloke it, it is it is quite difficult to um for them to be to lay themselves bare if you like and be and be completely open and honest but um as a coach the more information you've got um you know the, the better job you can do for them so i always uh, i always try and instill that in my swimmers you know be honest be open even if it's something that you don't think i'm going to want to hear i might rant and rave initially but uh, you know just just put your tin out on for a minute and just take that while I calm down a bit and then and then we'll get through it and we'll get over it and we'll we'll, we'll make the best way forward cool Josh you want to you got something specific um I, I was just kind of agreeing in, in a lot of things you were saying I think you talked about kind of undermines you know if you don't know the answer I think you you kind of lose that trust as well I think working as a, as a coach is one but also in my other role as a sports scientist mm sometimes a swimmer will ask me a question and I'm just like, oh, I, I, can I ask you, can I answer you tomorrow? You know, they'll come in with a, a really specific question and they've read something online or, or, you know, there's an article on swim swam or something about, you know, X swimmer does this many strokes and this rate and the lactate was this. What does that yeah. mean to me? And I'm like, let me go and read it and then I'll, I'll, I'll come back. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's really important, you know, having the, the confidence as a coach, you know, whether you're a young coach just starting out or, you know, you've been doing it for 20 years to to say, I, I don't know. Um, and it's OK. And, and as you say, and I think it those roles are almost re- reversed because you, you'd think that a new coach just starting out that perhaps doesn't know, doesn't have all the answers would be more ready to go. Actually, I don't know. But it's, it's actually they're, they're the ones that are more likely to try and blag their way through it, you know. Um, and it's when you get when you've been coaching for a long time and you're a bit more comfortable um, and you perhaps you've had a, you've had some decent results so you, you can go actually you know what I, I don't know the answer to that or I'm not quite sure but you know what I'll find out but then when you do that you've got to make sure make sure you follow up 
So if you, you know, like you, you, you say there, if you know, I'll, give me till tomorrow, I'll find out. Well, then make damn sure that you tell them tomorrow. You know, and if it's a case of actually, you know what, my opinion is this, or this is the way I read it, or this is my take on it, then that's okay as well. And it's okay if there's differs. You know, that that's fine too. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, like you, you mentioned, uh, swim swam. You know, that the internet sounds stupid is is an unbelievable invention, you know, and that as regards coaching, that's the biggest change in the last 25 years, you know, nothing, anything now is available at the click of a click of a mouse, you know, nothing is secret anymore. Nothing is um, innovative. Everybody can have the access to absolutely everything else, you know? And so Back in, in my day, you know, you, um, you you didn't know what people were doing. You, you didn't know. And, you know, you've only got to look at results at, at national championships now. You go back 25 years, mid-90s, mid-80s even. The the results were in, the, if you like, the results and also the all the knowledge base was based around the head coach in a number of silos around the country. So the, the big full-time coaches, so City of Birmingham, City of Coventry, City of Leeds, Nova Centurion, Port of North Sea, City of Glasgow, you know, wherever it might be. And, and the vast majority of results and medals at nationals and national team members came from those clubs, you know, and with the advent of the internet now, everybody, you know, can, can look at super slow motion of Michael Phelps from underwater. You know, they can watch Regan Smith from in the 100 backstroke, you know, they can slow it down, they can pause it, they can frame it, they can put their swimmer on top of it. You know, like the things you can do are unbelievable. Um, and so nothing anymore is innovative. Everybody has done it. There's only so many ways you can swim 6,000 metres, for example, in a session. So that's that's the, certainly the, the biggest change in, in swimming and certainly the biggest change in coaching. And, and I think that's reflected. You've only got to look at the, the results of nationals. Now there's way more clubs now that are represented at national championships and there's way more clubs that that do well, some is into finals, some is even winning medals at, at, you know, at national championships because the, the information is, is readily available to anybody that wants to look. And that kind of brings us quite well onto the next question, really, which is a, um, kind of tightening that up a little bit. And, and there's actually, to, as a backstroker, to, to ask you what you think has changed in backstroke you know, since we were swimming together in, in the late 80s and 90s at City of Birmingham, but how do you think it differs now from, you know, 30 years ago? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, first and foremost, it's a lot faster for a start, but um, <laughs> I think uh, the underwater sections, um, I mean, if you, if you remember back until 1988, people swam a long way underwater, so there was no limit on how far you could go underwater. So I remember being a kid and watching the 88 Olympics and watching David Burkhoff and the Japanese guy Suzuki going 35, 40 metres underwater. Uh, it wasn't particularly good for the spectators watching, but they, blimey, they swam fast. And then after that, um, Fina banned it. So it was, it was a limit of 15 metres on backstroke underwater. And that, and that brought the times, you know, slowed the times right down. And, and then people, were, if you like, certainly when I swam, yeah, the underwater section was, was a big part of it. But I don't think people maximised it the way they do now. No, nowhere near to the extent they do now. It was ironic because on fly, they continue to allow you to go as far as you want, right the way through the 90s. So on fly, I remember as far up as sort of 98, you know, people were swimming 35 underwater. And it was only then that they thought, oh, actually, this has gone the same way as backstroke. And they, and they limited how far you could go. 
so certainly the underwater sections have changed. Um, now it's, you know, people often refer to it as the fifth stroke. Um, and certainly short course, if you can't, if you can't kick out and you can't work underwater well, then you, you ain't really got a chance no matter how good you are on top. Um, you know, you're some 100 metres backstroke short course or 100 fly short course. You know, you're not actually swimming for very long. You know, you kick 15 out off the start. You roll over two metres away from the wall. So you've, you know, you've, you've, you've swum for perhaps 10 metres. You know, it's the same off the turn, same off the turn and then into the finish. So you're probably only swimming for maybe 30 metres. It's, um, it's crazy. In a 100 metre race, there might only be sort of 30, 35 metres that you're actually swimming. So the first point will be the underwater. And uh, the, the second main point for me, certainly, and like I, I, I feel this quite acutely from, from when I swam, is like the is the tempo of the of the stroke rate and the stroke rate I think has, has gone up dramatically, um, you know. So if you like the the tempo or the cadence of um, of their arms that the turnover, so um, the, and people now are sort of swimming, you know, the hundred back at what used to be the fifty backstroke rate, and they're swimming the two hundred back at what used to be the hundred stroke rate, you know, and it's. Um, that's a, that's a, a huge, huge thing. And I, and I was starting to see that a little bit towards the end of my career, you know, so I finished in 2002 um, and James Goddard and Gregor Tate were starting to do, to do well. And I trained with James Goddard in Stockport for a couple of years and watched him come through as a junior, you know, super, uber talented swimmer. Um, but his tempo and his cadence was, was really high. Um, not to the point where he was swimming, uh, spinning, because he, he wasn't, he was, you know, he was got a great catch on the water and a great, great feel. But you put him next to me on 200 back and his, his tempo was a lot higher. And, and I'm sure that was part of the reason why I swam 159 and he swam 155, you know, because his, his tempo was a lot higher. And you've only got to look at, you know, James, at, um, Adam Peter on breaststroke. You know, I know, I know we're moving from, from back to breast. But, you know, five, six years ago, well, 10 years ago, definitely, you know, people would not have swum the 100 breast with a 55 stroke rate like Peter does because they just wouldn't have finished. They'd have just been spinning. You know, and the guy now swims 56, 100 breast. Um, you know, the, the next question will be, can people swim the 200 breast or at the, with the 100 rate, you know? And it's, um, it was the discussion that this morning on, on a Zoom call I was, I was on this morning talking about that, about, you know, how, how the, rate has ta- uh, the rate has changed. And now some people, it takes one or two people to, to move that forward and try something different for everybody else to go, oh, okay then. If that's the way it's going, but certainly that's those are the two main changes that I've seen in backstroke. The the underwater section being much a much bigger weapon for people and uh, being much more strongly utilised, and uh, and the increase and in the and in the rate and the tempo of, of people's stroke. Yeah, no, I remember watching. I can't remember who it was at, at the ISL, and um, and she, she was coming off the wall on our underwaters, kind of really lopsided. And uh, I remember someone saying, why is she doing that? Like, why, is she, why is she not on her back? Yeah. Well, because she's already rotated into that first stroke position. Yeah. As soon as she breaks, she doesn't have to roll. She's doing her fly kick at that kind of, you know, 45 degrees or, or whatever mm. it was. So that as soon, as soon as she breaks the surface, she can just go straight into that stroke. And, you know, coming off the wall, she was taking so much out of everybody else in the race and really bugging me that I can't remember who it was um, <laughs> purely on that one thing you know, that one tiny skill um, and, you know. the thing is as well it's it's finding out uh, and, and a lot of those things I think coaches if they're honest certainly in my opinion 
a lot of those things you often fall upon just through chance. You know, it's, uh, I, I don't know, but I'd imagine her coach just saw her do that and was like, oh, blimey, I never thought that. That looks like a great idea. Let's, let's work on that. <laughs> yeah. My wife, you know, um, Sarah, Sarah, you know, was Sarah Price, you know, a great, her, the world record on 200 back. She kicked out on her side, you know, so, you know, again, something completely different. Now, some people do that now, but back then when she did that 20 years ago, it was completely innovative. Nobody did it. And it was um, just a case of a coach happened to see her do it. I thought, oh, that looks all right. Let's, let's try that. And so over time, worked on that and found that it was better for Sarah to kick on her side. She wasn't going on to a front to obviously get disqualified. She was on her side, so it was legal. But it was better for her to kick on her side than it was on her back. So she pushed off on her back, flipped straight onto her side, would do a 10, 12, 13 metres on her side, and then rotated the last metre onto her back to start to move into a transition into a stroke. And it was just... You know, just it's being as a coach, not being afraid to try those things. Sometimes they'll they won't work. In fact, the majority of the time they won't work, <laughs> but sometimes they will. You know, how did Bob Bowman find out that it was better for Michael Phelps to breathe every single stroke on fly? You know, as a coach, you, you it should be two strokes up, one stroke down, or three up, one down, or one up, one down, or something to keep the head in line and trying to minimise that undulation, that frontal resistance. But it just works for for Michael Phelps. Now, did Bob Bowman all of a sudden just dream that up? Or I would imagine, I don't know, I don't know Bob Bowman, but I would imagine it was just a case of trial and error. Let's try this. That worked well. Talk to Michael about it, you know, and over time come up with an idea and a plan. You know what, actually, this is the way we're going to go. You watch Chad Leclerc, you know, when he swims to the fry, keeps looking around everybody. Again, as a coach, the, the one thing you tell you swimmers, for God's sake, don't look around. <laughs> Keep your head in line. That's why you've got two lane lines either side of you. <laughs> you just... You're just concentrating what you're doing. But Chad's looking around all over the place. You'll see him kick out underwater and you're having a cheeky look where everyone, everyone, wherever everybody else is. But you know what? That works for him. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's pulling those little anom- anomalies out. Um, if that works for one, one swimmer or not for another, then, hey, that's fine. Don't be uh, too rigid. You know, there's um, some things work for some kids and, they, and they, they might not work for everybody else in your group. But if it works and you can see the reason for it, and they're comfortable with it, then you, you make your call as a coach, and, and you, you buy into it. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's kind of back, back to where we were talking in the beginning about that relationship and, and trust, and actually not expecting every swimmer to swim exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. And it is often, it is the ones that make those gold medals, whether that's Paralympics or Olympics, Commonwealths, Europeans, the swimmer that is that little bit different mm. some you know they have a tiny bit of difference about them and it's and it's learning to see that and and embrace how that swimmer reacts to what you ask them to do within the kind of that the individual quirkiness that each individual swimmer is going to have yeah most definitely you want to um you don't want to you don't want to crush or or you know inhibit their their natural style you know but it's just a case of trying to work work within it as much as you can i mean if there's there's certain basics that that everybody has to do and you want to get right although saying that we just talked about chad leclerc just something completely different but you know it's so i mean i'll have i'll have certain things that are that are sort of non-negotiables you know as regards skills you know so um if it comes to a point where i mean some skills like some 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 is just can't do them you know so you can you can you can bang your head against a brick wall 
But if it comes to the point where, you know, well, actually, this is actually going to make the summer slower by making my imposing my will on them, then you've, you've got to back off a little bit. Now, I think that that if you like that leeway changes as the summer gets a bit older and as they and as they get a bit better, you know, would I buy, would I be allowing nine year olds to to fall outside those parameters? Probably not, because, you know, with nine and ten, you want to be trying to instill the very, very good basics of technique. Uh, into them you know good work ethic you know being coachable all those sorts of things but you know once a swimmer gets sort of like you know 15 16 17 and 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 they're swimming a particular way I think it's more a case of trying to hone what they've got rather than perhaps trying to change anything too radically Um, you know it's you know it's always but you've always got in the back of your mind that you know a swimmer's ceiling you know like their their potential will ultimately be their technique you know with everything else being equal, as we go, you know, like hard work and nutrition and SNC and all the other things that they can they can maximise out on, ultimately their 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 ceiling, the glass ceiling, will be their technique, you know. So getting that nailed down and getting the basics done well, as early as possible, and then if you like, as they get a bit older, bearing with those those quirks or those um, those anomalies that they might have, you can work around. Um, you know, like as you say, we've 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 named four or five people there that that have been world beaters that might have a few quirks. It's not a case of a coach going, "Oh, that's the way to do it," but just bearing in mind, you know what? I've got my got my fundamentals. That's what I want to try and stick to. But bear in mind that some people do have a few quirks. Yeah, and I think it goes back to kind of saying about you know each swimmer being an experiment and and having the confidence to 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 try things. And most things you know don't won't work. Um, you know, if if you look at someone like Caleb Dressel, for example, I'm probably not going to coach an age grouper to do a dive like that. Because, <laughs> or if you saw an age grouper doing that, you'd be thinking, well, "What on earth are they doing there?" Like, get your arms in. <laughs> you know, what are you, you're not doing fly off the off the block. What? Are you, but you know, you you can't really argue that it works for him. Um, you know, and there's, there's a few of the senior guys have started to adopt that. And like you said, it's a I think it's a trial and error thing. And I think as you get older, that's when you can start to experiment. I think, you know, when you're working with the younger swimmers, nail that technique, get it as close to perfect or, te- you know, textbook mm. as, as you like, and then start finding those little intricacies, those little kind of quirks, you know, like like you said, that are maybe going to give them that, that extra 1% that they need to go from, you know, not qualifying to qualifying or third to first or, or, or whatever. Yeah. You have to lay your foundations, you know, with, with, with your junior, with your younger swimmers, you know, you, you lay the foundations and, and then you let them, if you like, express themselves a little bit more as they get older. I mean, don't get me wrong. If there's, if there's something that you see that, that they're doing fundamentally wrong, then, you know, even if they're swimming particularly well, uh, you know, you need to need to address that. And that's, and that's tough to do. You know, the, the hardest thing to do as a coach, especially like if you're a young coach or if you're in what would perhaps be deemed like a, a smaller club, if you've got a good swimmer that's, that's doing well, it's, the, it's difficult to change it. It is difficult to change it. And it's, um, the tendency is to, well, if it ain't broke, then don't fix it. Now, it might very well be that their, t- their technique is fundamentally sound and you know, robust and everything's going well. It might be that there's a number of different factors affecting why they are swimming well. So, you know, are they doing more work than everybody else? Are often at a young age, are they just bigger than everybody else? Are they just have they just matured earlier enough, earlier than everybody else? 
you know, and, and you'll see that at every single junior league guard and you'll see that every county championships with younger events. You look across the six or eight summers and there'll be a dot, you know, in one of the lanes and there'll be some huge behemoth in, in one of the other lanes, you know, and, and at that age, the, the big kid is inevitably going to beat the small kid. Um, and when you've got a good, especially in a smaller, smaller club or smaller programme, if you've got a kid winning, it's difficult to change. Um, especially if initially that might adversely affect them, you know, so you change a part of their technique, they seem a bit slower, they're not going to want to buy into your, into your philosophy of trying to change it. So it is, it is difficult to sell like a long-term vision to, um, to swimmers. And that's, I mean, that's a big change over the years as well. You know, I, I, I know from my own experience, sort of growing up as a young swimmer in the eighties, you, you just sort of did as you were told um, and you just got on with it. But, you know, nowadays, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it's just the way that times have changed. Um, people ask, people ask questions a lot more. People want to know why, okay, why am I doing this? And if, um, and I encourage my swimmers to ask me, and if I can't, if I can't give them a valid reason why we're doing a particular thing, then, then we'll go and do something else, you know? So, um, hey, don't get me wrong, I'm not encouraging my swimmers to, to ask questions for half an hour every session, you know? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, if I can't that. give them a, a valid reason why we're doing something, then let's go and do something else. So the days of, of swimmers, I think, just following blindly and not asking, um, I think those, those days are gone. And as coaches, we need to be mindful of that. It's not to say that we don't have to stick to our principles and still make sure that our programs are coach driven, you know, so it's, it's not the athletes leading it, it's the coach that's leading it. But we've got to, got to bear in mind that the times have changed, attitudes have changed. Um, parents want, and swimmers themselves, want a certain degree of, of success fairly early on for their input, you know. So, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm turning up five or six times a week. I, I want a little bit of payback for that. I want a little bit of reward for that. So it's no, no point telling a 10-year-old, you know what, train on for the next 15 years and you might make the Olympic team, you know. <laughs> there comes a point where they're going to need a little bit of reward for all this work they're doing. So, yeah, we have to aim long-term and we have to try and do the right things, both technically and physiologically, to make sure that we're putting all those blocks in place. But we have to sort of, like, balance that, if you like, with making sure that we, we do try and give them a little bit of success. So it, it can't be completely long-term. Um, I was talking to some of the guys from British Swimming who went over to, um, they've taken a number of swimmers to Japan on training camps uh, before Christmas for the last, last five or six years. And um, looking at some of the um, stuff that come back from, from the, you know, from the Japanese programs. Um, I, I, I don't profess to know anything about the Japanese system, but I'm led to believe it's sort of like 11 or 12 um, in, in Japan, they sort of make a decision to go one way or the other. So, you know, are they going to go down an academic route or are they going to still combine this, this swimming or sport, whatever it might be? So coaches have to try and make sure that they, they get their summer pretty good at sort of 11 or 12 to make sure they even stop in the sport, you know, because if they're not particularly good at that age, chances are either them or the parents will pull them out and they'll go into something else and they'll focus on their academics, you know. So I know Japanese coaches, and then that, that, sort of goes against like long-term planning and long-term development for a swimmer that you have to try and get them pretty good at a fairly young age. Otherwise they go and do something else. So, you know, like it's, um, and, and that's happening a little bit more in this country, you know, people want some reward for all that and some payback for all their efforts. So coaches, even nowadays, even if you are trying to do the right thing 
and trying to do the long-term thing for the summer, which long-term might be the best thing for their potential. If they quit at 14, then it's a waste of time. So it is a very, very fine line to tread. Yeah, I mean, totally agree um, with all of that. You know, and that kind of working on getting technique right first and then speed coming from that, I think actually still wins through. Um, yeah, you will get, you know, your big 11-year-old, your big 12-year-old. Um, but strangely enough, I mean, and you know, you can think about some of the younger swimmers you and I see at our junior meets. Um, actually, a couple of the faster girls are the dots, yeah. not, the tall, not the big ones. And it's because they work on that technique and then they put the power behind it. So, you know, and they're the ones that will sail through, assuming obviously that they stay in the sport. Going to throw um, a bit of a curveball. Um, but just listening to all this stuff about technique and, and individuality of, of, you know, each swimmer, you know, obviously you trained alongside some para swimmers and you've had para swimmers come through at City of Cov. Yeah. Um, how do you approach that in terms of, you know, kind of blue, blueprint technique against what a swimmer can physically actually do or perhaps cognitively do? Yeah, it, it, it is difficult. And, 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 I'll, and I'll, be, I'll hold my hands up and, and be completely honest. Um, I haven't had many, many disability swimmers swim in my groups. Um, I remember when I was at the city of Birmingham, we had a call from British swimming and they, they, it was sort of 2004, 2005. Oh, we've got a we've got a young girl at Bowlmere Swimming Club. Could she potentially come and swim with you a couple of mornings a week just to increase the workload? Anyway, it was a it was a very young Ellie Simmons, you know. So Ellie Simmons came in and, and swam with that with actually with Carl Grosvenor, who was my assistant at the time, and came in a couple of mornings a week and swam with them. Um, and I know it was it was very good for Carl to to be able to tailor his training for somebody else. And and I I, I coach a lad called Josh Fairchild now who's S fourteen, and um, initially I was a little bit a little bit wary about bringing him into the group, not because I didn't think he could cope, but just because his times were a little bit slower than the other than everybody else. So it was like, oh, is this going to work logistically more than any, anything else? But I, I took the punt, and he's, he's a brilliant member of the group. Love him to bits. And he's come on leaps and bounds. And and all I have to do, and it's, it, to be honest, it's, it's made me a better coach because I have to think a little bit more closely about how I give feedback to Josh. Um, and so every summer is different. But with, with taking those things into account, it just, just makes you think a little bit more. So, you know, with, with some of the others, it's just, because you're so used to it, it's just off the cuff. You know, okay, let's do this, do this, do this, or do that. With Josh or with some of the other summers, the other para summers, it's to just have to think a little bit more closely. Well, actually, if I say this, they actually physically can't do that. So, right, I want to get to that point. I want to get to that point. Right, how do I get it? By, by getting another way around it. So it's just, it has made me a better coach. Um, and I, as I say, if, if we have any other para swimmers that can swim to that sort of level to swim in my group, come through City Coventry, I'd certainly have no hesitation in taking them. I've, you know, it's not the same, but very similar. I've taken, um, taken a triathlete into my group in the last few months, you know, which is something that, that I haven't, I've been reluctant to do in the past, you know, just, uh, I've always been quite focused on, right, are these my swimmers? This is what I want to do. But, you know, if you've got it, if you've got a good athlete in your program, what it, whether that's, triathlon or whether that's biathlon or whether that's disability swimming or whatever it might be why can't they come in and swim you know josh and the and the, the triathlete megan you know they're good guys they've got a great work ethic they're fun 
they have a good laugh, they're coachable. Why wouldn't I want to work with those kind of people? You know, so um, yeah, as long as they, as long as the, that person coming in wants to fit in with the philosophy of the group, they want to work hard and they want to get better, then then we'll get on like house on fire. And and Josh and Megan have done that. Cool. It's just kind of the the final thing on on backstroke or, or, or technique. You know, there's talent is such a buzzword at, at the moment. And should we use talent or should we not use talent and things like that? Um, do you think there is kind of a natural backstroker or or a natural swimmer when you're looking at kind of some of the younger guys? Is there any things that you you look for and go, okay, that person has the potential to be a backstroker? Obviously, I know specialization doesn't happen kind of at that age, but is there any kind of key things that you look for for the back or, or any other stroke? You know, okay, that person's. I don't think so. I mean, like uh, the ma- the majority of kids and and programs across the country, everyone will try different strokes, and there'll be some that they're pretty good at, and there's some they're just not that good at. And you, you use your coach's eye to have a look and go, actually, you know what, if, if I just flip this person over on the back or I flip them over on the front and let's let's try something different, and sometimes it clicks, and 95% of the time it doesn't, you know? But as long as as a coach you're prepared to not pigeonhole swimmers too early, oh, and that can sometimes happen, you know, oh, well, I've always done the fly in the junior league, so that swimmer swims the fly. Well, yeah, actually, if you flipped them on the back, would they be any better? Or could they do something better? You know, in, until the age of 11, I, I was I was on freestyle because that's what I did in the junior leagues. I was on the relays and happened to jump in the local open meet, did the 100 back and was much better at it. You know, so it was, so don't pigeonhole hole summers too quickly. As regards actually what I look for, no, I, I, I don't I don't see anything that, you know, you, you can lie a swimmer on the floor and look at their feet. So if their feet turn in when they lie flat on the floor, do their feet turn in? If their feet turn out, then they're more probably more likely to swim breaststroke. I know when I lie flat on my back, my, my feet turn in, you know, so face in rather than facing out. And when you swim backstroke, your, your feet, your toes are pointing inwards at a certain angle. So but you could argue that's the same on free and on fly. So if you may be looking for someone to swim breaststroke, it, that might be something for you. But that's, I mean, that's a very, very simplistic approach. I mean, as regards, what, what do I look for in backstroke? I'd look for um, still head position and I'd look for high hips. We'd have high hips in, in most strokes. I'd look for a, a strong leg kick. I think because of the nature of your body position when you're on your back, um, if your leg kick isn't strong enough or your leg kick goes, then your whole body position changes. And so I'd look, um, I'd look for a, a strong kick um, and I know certainly with the, well, with all the swimmers I coach, but certainly with the backstroke as I coach, we do an awful lot of work on kick and hard kick. I don't, I don't like, I don't like slow kick. I just think it becomes, um, I mean, I know the buzzword is social kick at the moment. So people like to just sit and chat on their board. I, I, I just don't see the point in that. I can't, I have to go, I have to go to the toilet or something. I can't, I can't watch that. <laughs> so um, when we kick, we, we kick hard. Um, so I'll be looking for a good kick. I'll be looking for a steel head. And then, the amount of, of shoulder roll or hip roll would often depend on the swimmer, you know? So if I've got a swimmer with a, with a big rotation, which, which I had when I swam, you know, they, they'll often be able to get their hand in a deeper position and a deeper catch, but obviously that will slow down their rate. You know, and we talked at the start about rate being the biggest change now. Um, so certainly the more rotation you have, 
the slower your rate's going to be because you just won't, aren't going to be able to turn your arms over as quick. But there has to be a certain amount of rotation. Otherwise, as you know, as on the upsweep, you'll be your fingertips might be breaking the surface. And certainly with a girl I, I coach at the moment called Lauren Cox, you know, she she still does that. You know, when she first came in, one of her hands was or her fingertips were breaking the surface as she pulled. Um, and so we had to increase her role. But then if she increases her role too much, it affects her rate. So again, it's a it's a fine balancing act to make. So if she begins to spin a bit and over rev, you know, I can tell because her fingertips are breaking the surface. So she's almost like trying to rev her arms too much. So, you know, just those few things I look for on backstroke. A great kick, steel head, playing around with the, the amount of rotation, but you know, it depends on whether they swim perhaps the 100 or the 200. Making sure that their fingers inlet enter in line with their shoulder. Um, that's a, an often a, 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 an easy mistake people make, that they will, if you like, over-rotate. So, you know, we, as coaches, we always teach our kids to, to roll their shoulders, Then that will often mean their, their little finger will enter if you like, on the other side of their head. So we're always trying to make sure that the, the finger enters, enters in line with their shoulder. And then if you enter, if your hands over the, too far over the center line, it pushes your hips out, so it ends up snaking down the pool. So I'm always looking for making sure the, finger, the fingertip enters first right in line with the shoulder. So it's a very, very basic stuff. Nothing, nothing again, nothing innovative or too out there. Just very basic stuff and just doing the, the basic things right. You know, you get the basic things right and a great foundation, you, you're not going to go far wrong. Cool. Yeah, cool. Anything you want to add? Ask us. <laughs> I, d- I don't think so, no. No, I think... <laughs> so I hope I haven't rubbed it on too long. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Not at all. It's uh, great to hear from other, other coaches and, and the, you know, what their thought processes are on things. Um, it made me laugh when you are talking about the uh, kicking backstroke. I remember being on... And uh, listening to a couple of the senior guys have a, a spirited, friendly, spirited disagreement on uh, one was a 200 backstroker, one was a 200 fly swimmer. And it was uh, which of their events was the worst to swim? <laughs> 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 kind of which, which one hurts the most when you've finished? And, uh, and I, I think in agreement, they, in the end, they opened it up to the rest of the squad. And I think everyone agreed that the 200 fly. Um, just because your legs don't work anymore, if you uh, if you swim it properly. I know I know I'm biased because obviously I swim two and a back, but from talking to a lot of people, two and a back is a ho- is a horrible event. It's yeah. a horrible, a tough event. It really is. Yeah, you know, not n- no so many no swimming race is easy, and you fifteen hundred free or four hundred medley or two hundred five, God forbid. But you know, a, a lot of people say two and a back is a is a hard event. Yeah, I think it just just hits your legs. You know, like you said, you just have to kick. The whole time, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's absolutely no rest. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I mean, just for me, 200 breasts, um, you know, as, as a swimmer, as a as a para swimmer with no leg kick, 200 breasts was an absolute <laughs> killer, and that was my my stroke. But you know, you, you'd get to the you know, you'd be swimming that last 50 or even 25, and the pools turned into treacle, but somehow okay. your hands still go through it without pulling you anywhere. <laughs> It's horses for courses, isn't it? You know, unfortunately, if everyone had a choice, they'd also in the fifty, wouldn't they? You know, but it's, <laughs> but it's, you know, unfortunately, there's there's a lot of kids that can't do that, and they're more suited to to the ten k open water, and yeah. but no, nobody goes and chooses that one. No one chooses the four hundred medley or the. It's just that if they happen to be good at that, then yeah. sorry guys, that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, you've um, lucked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bad luck. Good at the long ones. <laughs> that's what yeah, you've got to do. 
Um, we just want to, to to wrap it up. A couple of quick fire questions. Uh, what is your favourite or best memory as a swimmer? As a swimmer, uh, Commonwealth gold um, was was obviously super special. It was the. I mean, I won I won a number of medals at Commonwealth Games and Europeans and you know world finals and that sort of thing. But just just to win was um, was 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 something super special. It, it doesn't get any better than that. And then same as a coach. Um, a number of them really. I think you'd, you'd be surprised. People would say, um, you know, expected to be when I coached Terry Dunning. You know, she won a medal at Commonwealth Games and won gold at Europeans and stuff. Um, so that was very special. Um, but I, I like it when swimmers do things they ain't supposed to do. Um, now whether that's someone winning a medal at a European Championships or whether that's someone getting a national qualifying place when they shouldn't. So I like it when swimmers do do things they shouldn't. Um, I remember there was one one girl, I mean, she's she's long finished, a girl called Catherine Fowler, um, coached her quite early on in my career. And uh, she, um, she, I'm sure she won't mind me saying, no disrespect, she was she was a, an average swimmer, you know, she, but she bust a gut. She worked her socks off. And uh, it was back in the day of national qualifying times and she scraped her 800 free by a couple of tenths. And um, it was a Coventry and she turned around and she jumped up and was, so pleased with herself. And I was in tears. I was in tears. And all the coaches around me were laughing. I'm like, oh, but she's worked so hard. You know, it's it's that. I, I like it when swimmers do things that they sh- they're not supposed to do, you know, or or in excess of what they think is possible. Um, often the best swimmers, when they win medals at Europeans and stuff, you know, they're, they're good at it. They're supposed to do those things. Which when a swimmer does something they're not supposed to, that's that's what I enjoy the most. It's quite, I mean, it's, that's not a dissimilar answer to, to, to what Russ said because, it was kind of like, well, I'm not that fussed by the time they've got to the Europeans and or the World <laughs> Championships. Yeah. It's actually the journey that we've taken them from and and those kind of, those eureka moments in that journey that really make the difference. Yeah, Bill Sweet, I said, he, for him, is when he coached, the, the, the best moment was when he walked his summer down to the core room before a, a Commonwealth final or before an Olympic final. And those last few words before they walked into the call room, you know, with, with the absolute, you know, the absolute knowing satisfaction that they've, they've left no stone unturned. You've left no stone unturned. You, you've put them in the best place possible for them to come up with their very best performance. And, and for him, the moment they left those last few words before they left him to go into the call room before that, that life defining swim were the best moments. Um, and so, you know, yeah, for the for new coaches or the un, 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 uninitiated, it's you often think it's it's that wonderful big performance. It's the it's the medal winning performance. But as Russ says, often it isn't. It's I'd say for me, it's the and it, it could be at the DaVinci Open meets. You know, the the kid that does something that they're not they're not supposed to do. Those are the those are the most satisfying ones. I think that's a pretty good place to yeah say thanks. You've got to... yeah. So. Um... Yeah, kind of really, really good. Thank you for that. <laughs> All right. Well, no, yeah. Sorry. No, brilliant. I mean, I think we can close by saying thank you very much, Adam, for joining us. Um, and we will share your fame far and wide, even farther and wider than it already is. Um, <laughs> and um, let's, well, obviously, we'll, once once swimming starts, you know, as in, as in clubs in sister towns, we will continue to see each other regularly. So let's just keep our fingers crossed for getting back into the pool um, as soon as it's safe. Thank you much indeed, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk and um, yeah, look forward to seeing you both soon.
Cheers, man. Bye. Thanks, guys. Cheers.